0: You know that while Jesus was here on earth, he was constantly telling people that he was going to rise from the dead. He told this, for example, to his enemies, Matthew Matthew chapter 12, for as Jonah, Jesus said, was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, meaning himself, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus told it to his friends, Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and be killed and be raised to life again on the third day. He told it to the crowds, John chapter 2. Jesus said, destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it back up. Then the crowd said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Now, of course, they were talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. And you will raise it back up in three days. But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And, of course, last of all, when the rabbis went to see Pilate to ask for Roman soldiers to guard Jesus' tomb, they said, Matthew 27, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I will rise again. Okay, what's the point? Poor friends, the point is that everybody in Israel knew full well about Jesus' claim that he was going to rise from the dead. Now the question is, did he do it? Well, I utterly believe with all of my heart that he did. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The title of my message is, Your Savior Must Be Stronger, than death. So, are you ready? All right, here we go. Now, you say, well, Lon, you just said that you utterly believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive, right? Yes, I do. And you say, well, why do you believe that? Well, one of the major reasons I believe it is because he lives inside my heart, and I talk to him, and I interface with him every moment of every day. But I can't show you that. What I can show you are four pieces of compelling evidence that he did rise from the dead. And that's what I want to do. So, number one is the compelling evidence of the Roman soldiers. Remember when the rabbis came to Pilate, they said, sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So, they said to Pilate, Please command that his tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal his body and say to the people, He's risen from the dead. And then this last deception will be worse than the first. And so Pilate said to them, take a squad of Roman soldiers and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a wax seal on the stone and posting a guard. Now friends, I've told you before that in the time of Jesus, a security squad like this of Roman soldiers consisted of 15 enlisted men and one officer. And these soldiers had a highly vested interest in making sure nothing happened to the body of Jesus because if a Roman soldier lost his prisoner, even his dead prisoner, he lost His life. You know, uh, when we're not doing an Easter message, we've been going through the book of Acts here at McLean Bible Church, verse by verse. And I hope you remember Acts chapter 12. We just did it a couple of weeks ago. Peter was in prison. And King Herod of of Judea was ready to cut his head off the next morning. And he had Roman soldiers posted to make sure Peter didn't escape. And if you read the chapter, remember the angel showed up and busted Peter out of jail? Now listen, in the morning, Acts 12, 19, when Herod had sought for him, Peter, and not found him, He examined the guards and ordered that they should be, what's the next three words, say it? Put to death. And they were. Friends, this was standard operating procedure in the Roman army. And this being true, do you really think that a bunch of unarmed women and fishermen could have broken through this contingent of battle-hardened Roman soldiers who knew that their life was on the line guarding the body of Jesus. Do you really think they could have broken through and stolen the body of Jesus? Not on your life. Impossible. So, if no human being stole the body of Jesus... And where did it go? Well, I'll tell you where it went. It rose from the dead exactly like the Bible said it did. Praise the Lord. That's where it went. Now, that leads us to compelling evidence number two, which is the evidence of Jesus' enemies. When the message began spreading through Jerusalem, that Jesus had risen from the dead, the rabbis were determined to stamp out that message. And so they went, Matthew 28, to the soldiers who had been guarding the tomb. And the rabbis gave the soldiers a great sum of money and said, Tell people that his disciples came at night and stole his body away while you were sleeping. And if this gets back to the governor's ears, to Pilate's ears, we will persuade him and we will keep you safe. So I ask myself, why would these rabbis spend all this money and all this political capital when all they really had to do was just to produce the dead body of Jesus. All you got to do is find it, put it on a cart, roll it through the streets of Jerusalem for everybody to see, and it's over. Finito. End of story. So why didn't they do that? Well, friends, the answer is very simple. There was no dead body to produce. And we've already agreed, right, that because of the Roman soldiers that, that the body of Jesus wasn't stolen, therefore where did it go if not for the resurrection? Number three, not only though do we have the compelling evidence of the Roman soldiers and the compelling evidence of Jesus' enemies, we also have, third, the compelling evidence of the eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said, For I delivered to you the message I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now watch, look what Paul says. And that he was, what's the next word? Say it, say it. Seen Seen by Peter and then by the 12 apostles. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, most of whom are still alive to this day. Hey, stop there a second. It's almost like Paul is saying, look, if you don't believe me, Go ask one of these 500 people who saw him. They're all around. Just go find one and ask them. Why in the world would Paul issue a challenge like this if he did not believe all 500 of those people would have told them, we saw the living Christ? But there's more. And after that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles again, And last of all, he was seen by me on the road to Damascus. You know, um, I did my undergraduate work at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. I would like to just remind you that we won the NCAA basketball tournament this year. Yes, I just would just, just a reminder. That's right. Now. Are there any Tar Heels here? You went to UNC. (laughs) One person and one who wouldn't go there if you paid him. Okay, that's good. That's good. Now, when I was at Chapel Hill, um, I was a chemistry major. In fact, my undergraduate degree, I have a Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry. And when you do that, you have to take a lot of math. And so I took Um, about 25 or 30 hours of college math all the way up through differential equations. And and I'm not Albert Einstein by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know a tiny bit about higher mathematics. And uh, there is a piece of higher mathematics that is enormously germane to what we're talking about here when we talk about the eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. It's called Bayes' Theorem. We'll put it up on the board for you on the slide. And what Bayes' Theorem is, it is a mathematical formula that calculates how likely it is that an event really happened based on the number of eyewitnesses who agree. Who agree that his tie was red. Who agree that his jacket was green who agree that they saw the risen Lord. You understand? You with me? Okay. And that is the number N in this formula. And N, the higher the number of N, the greater the probability that the event really took place. Can you see that from the formula? You got that? Good, okay. Now, Dr. John DePoe, who teaches at Western Michigan University, wrote an article about all of this and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you, uh, I want to quote, but I want to tell you the name of his article. The name of his article is A Bayesian Analysis of the Cumulative Effects of Independent Eyewitness Testimony for the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bedside reading. Bedside reading. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me quote Dr. Depo. He said, and I quote, from the New Testament, one can count as many as 520 eyewitnesses to the resurrection, given such a number, look what he says, of independent witnesses testifying that an event occurred, the probability... That this event did indeed happen goes up exponentially and becomes, last three words, close to certain. End of quote. Close to certain. You say, all right, Lon. But don't you understand? It was all a con. Don't you understand? All of these guys got together, Peter and James and John and Matthew and all these guys, and they all said, okay, this is what we're going to say. Let's get our story straight, and we're all going to say this, and we're all going to give the same testimony, and we're all going to say we saw the risen Lord. And so it doesn't matter how big the number N is. They're all lying. They're all making it up. Don't you understand that? It's just a big hoax. Isn't that possible, Lon? No, it's not. And let me tell you why it's not possible, because of compelling evidence number four. And that is the compelling evidence of the eyewitnesses' martyrdom. I trust you know that virtually every eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection mentioned in the Bible died as a martyr rather than recant their testimony that Jesus had risen from the dead and they had seen him. The apostle James was killed by Herod, Acts chapter 12. Stephen was martyred and stoned in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 7. Thomas was martyred in India. John Mark was martyred in Egypt. Philip was martyred in Turkey. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. The Apostle Paul had his head cut off by Emperor Nero in 66 AD at the third mile post along the Ostian Way just outside Rome. Peter was crucified upside down by that same Nero in 66 AD. And even though the Apostle John was not martyred, he was exiled for years to the island of Patmos by the Roman emperor because of his faith. Now, people don't do this for a con. I mean, somebody always cracks. Somebody always flips. You guys have seen CSI. You, You know this, right? You know this. But Peter and James... Matthew, John, Thomas, Philip, Paul, and so many others, they didn't flip because they weren't running a con. They had really seen the risen Christ and they were willing to die rather than deny it. So, can we summarize? Okay four compelling pieces of evidence that the resurrection really happened. Number one, the evidence of the Roman soldiers which makes human tampering with Jesus' body impossible. Number two, the evidence of Jesus' enemies who could have stopped Christianity dead in its tracks by just producing Jesus' dead body. But they didn't because they couldn't. Number three, the evidence of the eyewitnesses, hundreds of whom agreed that they had seen the risen Christ, and finally, the evidence of the eyewitnesses' martyrdom and their willingness to die rather than recant that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, look here, look here. Folks, can I prove to you in a test tube that Jesus? rose from the dead? No, I can't. But can I give you such a preponderance of evidence that even Judge Judy would agree with me? (laughs) Friends, not only can I, I just did. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, that brings us to our most important question, this Easter Sunday. And since some of you are visiting, I want you to participate. So I think we should at least kind of tip you off what we're about to do. So Victoria, can you put up for me what we're about to scream? There you go. All right. So when I say three, we're going to do this. Now, you listen to me. I, 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 I never would tell you anything but the total and the honest truth. We have had massive so what's today. Massive. So, since you're the twelve thirty service, and now you got a little bit of extra pizzazz in here with all these extra people, you you got to step up. You are, you with me? Because yeah. you never lose. So here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> you win. Ah, amazing. You guys are unbelievable. I love you guys. All right. So you say, Lon, so what? I mean, this is really good. I appreciate all of this. But I don't understand what difference it makes to my life, really. Well, let's talk about that for just a second. You know, uh, about three weeks ago, I was on my way to South Africa with a tour, leading a tour. And so I'd taken a train up to Penn Station in New York and then was going to take a taxi over to JFK to catch the flight. So I got in the taxi, and we're riding along, and I asked the gentleman who was driving what his name was. And he said, my name is Amin, A-M-I-N, Amin. And so I said, okay, cool. And we talked for a few more minutes, and I discovered he was a Muslim. No problem. So we're riding along, and he said to me, by the way, he said, what do you do for a living? So I said, "Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm the pastor of a church." And he said like, "A Jesus church?" And I was like, I felt like saying, "Do you know another kind?" But I said, "Yes, a Jesus church." And <clears throat> he said, "But you're Jewish." And I said, "Yeah, isn't that great?" Now, wonderful. He said, "How does that work?" I said, it "Works great." Works great. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. So we talked for another minute, and he said, wait a minute. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, Jesus, he died. Yes? I said, yes. He said, and Jesus, he, they put him in the grave, right? Yes. I said, but I mean, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Jesus came out of the grave. Jesus rose from the grave and rose from the dead And he said to me, why would he do that? Ooh. Ooh. Baby. And I said to him, Amin, listen, if you're going to trust somebody to save you from death, then that person has got to be stronger than death. Right? Does that make sense? And listen, Mohammed is dead, and he never rose from the dead. He's still dead. And, and Buddha died, and he's still dead. And Confucius died, and he's still dead. And, and Lao Tzu died, and he's still dead. And how many Dalai Lamas have died, and they're still dead? The, what good are any of these people to you, I mean, if they couldn't save themselves from death? How in the world are they going to save you from death? I said, but, 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 Jesus rose from the dead. And I mean, here's the key point that if Jesus can save himself from death, he can save you from death. Do you understand that? Praise the Lord. Folks. My brothers and sisters, as followers of Christ, this is our great and eternal confidence that because Jesus saved himself from death, he can save you and me from death. Jesus said, John fourteen nineteen, because I live, you who believe in me shall live also. Jesus said, John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Would you notice he did not say, I was resurrected. He didn't say that. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the living resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me shall live in the afterlife even if he dies here on earth. And... Have you ever met these people who, when you tell them that you know you're going to heaven and that you know you got eternal life, that they say to you, I think that's the most arrogant thing I have ever heard anybody say in my whole life. You know you're going to heaven, how arrogant can you possibly be? It's just rude to say that to people. You ever met folks like that? I have. Listen to me, friends. Isn't that rude or arrogant to tell people what God says in the Bible? We're not going to heaven because we did anything. We're going to heaven because the Lord Jesus did something for us. Right? Now watch. Watch. <clears throat> 1 John 5.11. And this is the record that God has given us eternal life. You didn't earn eternal life. God gave it to you as a gift when you believed in Jesus. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Watch now. He who has the Son has eternal life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. Can you say it any clearer than that? Can you say it any simpler than that? Now, last verse, look. These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Stop. Is that you? If you're a follower of Jesus here today, is that you he's talking about? Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Yes. Is this you we're talking about? Yes. Okay. So whatever he's about to say is for you, right? Okay. These things I write to you who believe In the name of the Son of God, so you may, what's the next word? Say it. Know. You may know that you have eternal life. Friends, God does not want us wondering what's going to happen to us in the afterlife. God wants us knowing what's going to happen to us in the afterlife. He wants us knowing that we have eternal life. And in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul said, God has given us proof that Jesus can back up what he said about the afterlife by raising him from the dead. And it's not arrogant to tell anybody what God just told you. In fact... You should say to them, "I'm not arrogant, but I could really help you know the same thing." So may I summarize? Can we close? Do you know how you go to church sometime And people when you come out of church, they say to you, "Hey, I heard you went to church." Yeah, I did uh, and, and what what did the preacher say? ha 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 ha." I don't really know. You you, you ever had that happen? Okay. Now listen, we don't do at this church Hama, hama, hama. At this church, when you walk out of here, you know what I said. And just in case you missed it, let me repeat it in closing. Somebody asked you, what did that guy Solomon say today? This is what you tell them. I said that to be of any use to us, A Savior has to be stronger than death, and the only Savior in the universe who is is the resurrected, risen, ascended, coming again, alive forevermore, Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I said. That's what I said today. Let's bow our heads together. And with our heads bowed, I would just like to remind you what Jesus said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall live in the afterlife, even though that person may die here on earth. And that God has given us proof Jesus can back this up by raising him from the dead. So friends, here's the deal. I believe many of us walked in here today trusting all kinds of different saviors. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, the Dalai Lama, our good works, our religious activity, our being a good person, our trying to keep the Ten Commandments, blah, blah, whatever. Friends, none of those things are stronger than death. They are of no use to you. They can't save you because they couldn't save themselves. And we are offering you the chance here today to trade in all those different saviors that are powerless to help you and instead to take the one savior who really can save you from death. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray a little short prayer I'm going to pray one phrase at a time out loud. You pray silently one phrase at a time with me. And what we're going to basically do is relinquish all of those saviors that are of no use. And we're going to have you embrace the Savior who is stronger than death. So here we go. You pray silently. I'm going to pray out loud. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. Because I need a Savior who's stronger than death. And so I relinquish every other Savior that I've ever trusted for forgiveness of sins in the sight of a holy God, for eternal life, for entry into heaven, and instead today, I embrace you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. Please come into my life and take over every part of my life. I yield my heart to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.